reading this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 9, and that's page 676 in the Church Bibles. That's 676, chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or or, or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge sea works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Thanks, Marcus, very much. Uh, It would be really helpful if you keep that open, uh, page 676, if you've just closed it. And uh, let's pray and ask God to help us to understand this. Lord, we're... uh, grateful to be looking at Ecclesiastes uh, these weeks and thank you for that part we've just read 
It feels a bit depressing already. Um, We pray, Lord, you'd help us to rightly understand your word and then to uh, live out our lives in the light of it, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. If we have the PowerPoint up, Sam, that'd be lovely. It will appear at some point, no doubt. Uh, The pastor was cutting his front lawn and he looked up... uh, to see a heavy dump truck reverse out of his neighbour's driveway. And as it was going out, it went right over his neighbour's 18-month-old son, who had been squatting behind one of those huge tyres, invisible in the mirrors. And the pastor uh, accompanied the hysterical mum and the ashen father who was driving the dump truck, to the hospital in the ambulance, but there's no hope for their little toddler. He's been crushed beyond recognition. Where's God? And why then? And why pick that time to move your dump truck? I mean, the little boy wasn't there a couple of minutes before, and actually, why move the dump truck at all? He didn't need to. And why didn't he just check first? Absolutely hideous. And it all seems so capricious somehow, doesn't it? So random, so appallingly awful. And is life purely random? Is there any answer to those kind of questions which that young family were facing? How on earth can you cope with that? Or you're on the Victoria Line, you're on your way up to Oxford Circus. And just as you pull into Green Park, the coach in front of yours is engulfed in flame and smoke. And the pressure wave from the explosion deafens you. There are 17 dead meters from you. You're dazed, temporarily deaf, you've cut your arm, but otherwise you're fine. But why that coach? and not yours? Why them, and not you? When will it be your turn? Next month? And again, it all seems random, doesn't it? Is life completely, purely random? Or is there some kind of purpose? And if it is purely random, then how best do we cope with life, with the ups and downs and the triumphs and the tragedies? Is life just completely random? Well, we're preaching through Ecclesiastes, and here we are in chapter 9, which sums up where we've got to so far. And then when we get to chapter 10, we'll begin to get some answers. Uh, There are a few hints in chapter 9, which I'll point out as we go through. But we're going to see that if you think this life is all that there is, then you would be and you could be excused for for feeling, frankly, thoroughly depressed about the whole thing. But think for a moment, would you, about the church hall. Now, at the moment, the reason why we've got some, uh, it's all a bit different this morning, the crochet's in here and so on, it has been and it will be throughout this autumn time, is that we, we're rebuilding the church hall. And it's going to be great. We're redeveloping it. Um, but just at the moment, it's a huge mess. It's a building site. Uh, what used to be the stage, for instance, is now just a massive hole. And that's where we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Because in order to build you've got to first demolish. 
You've got to make it a mess. You've got to knock it down. And uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is the skip of the book of Ecclesiastes. And then at the end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10, uh, we see uh, the skip being loaded onto a lorry and driven off to the landfill. Well, um, all illustration is going to get a little bit too far. This one's on the verge of it, so let's get to the first main point. Uh, is life purely random? We want to say uh, clearly, frankly, it looks like it. If you just look at life the way it is now and you have no, no recognition of anything greater, beyond, bigger than the here and now, then frankly, yes, it does look like it. Um, Ecclesiastes, as, as we've seen, uh, he, the guy who wrote it, guy who was referred to as, as Koheleth, and he, um, he regularly uses this word, under the sun. And, uh, uh, and so he's saying that life just here, under the sun, kind of down here, if you like, with any refer- without any reference to God or anything greater than the here and now, frankly, it does look like it's all pretty random. So, for instance, we were hearing last week, weren't we, from Richard Brunton, uh, we heard about Christians being swept away in a, in a mudslide. Uh, and uh, even as they were in their own church prayer meeting, 82 of them, along with everyone else in those dreadful mudslides in uh, Sierra Leone. And if you look at uh, chapter 9 and verse 2 here, it says, All share a, a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those don't and so on. And so, you know, being a Christian is no immunity to a, to a terrorist bomb on the Victoria Line. And in the end, uh, nothing happens as we'd entirely expect it to, does it? In some ways, it's quite nice. Because, you know, the unexpected, for instance, in the area of sports, the unexpected is quite a good thing, isn't it? So, you know, Japan beating South Africa here at the Amex during the Rugby World Cup, that was great, wasn't it? But at other times, it's not so good. Do the fastest always win? No, they don't. Ask Usain Bolt in his last you know, big race. Tragic, wasn't it, really? Uh, do the strongest always win? Not always. Do the wisest always succeed? Not always. Are the brilliant the ways the ones who get rich? No, not always. Actually, that's what verse 11 is about. Life's just rather random, unexpected, unpredictable. And then to make matters worse, as we start thinking about it, if there is some controlling force behind everything here, does it, or he, love you or hate you? Look at the end of verse 1 there, you see. Uh, No one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Life just doesn't seem fair or even rational. Maybe God has us in his sight. Or maybe God has us in his sights. Because it's hard to say sometimes whether God means good or ill towards us. Is he a good God or a bad God? The whole thing seems rather meaningless, rather vacuous. The writer Philip Yancey said this, So God, if God is truly in charge, somehow connected to all the world's suffering, why is he so capricious, so unfair? Is he the cosmic sadist who delights in watching us squirm? Well, that's what it looks like. And then death enters stage left. And that's the second point. And death looks like, to use a rather cruel word, phrase, that uh, I found as I was preparing, it looks like the universal obliterator. Because Ecclesiastes has uh, so far been saying, the common destiny for us is we're all going to die. So what's the point? 
So you look at verse 2. All share a common destiny. And life, he says, therefore it's meaningless, it's vacuous, it's a, it's a bubble that's about to burst. And it's pretty harsh. You look at the end of verse 3, and it says, um, and afterwards they join the dead. It's saying that death is, is the great leveler, it's the great mocker of all achievement. And what's the point of that? You're only going to die. And to all appearances, God is not just really very interested, is he? As one person wrote, uh, moral, immoral, we're all mown down alike. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? And death is no respecter of people. We will all pass from this life in the end. Death doesn't right wrongs. It's impartial. It's random even. And as someone called it, horribly, the universal obliterator. Well, when life and suffering and death is apparently irrational and meaningless, it's really hard to cope with, actually, isn't it? When awful things happen, it's really hard to cope with. And so uh, we are, or we appear to be, just look in the the words of verse 12, like fish caught in a cruel net, like a shoal of a fish there, and they're just caught in a net, and they've gone. And they become someone's breakfast. And, uh, And then... Uh, and it says here, in, is it in verse 12 there, uh, these things that come unexpectedly on them? No, it's uh, it actually saying, we forget forgotten, don't we? So, for instance, who's that? Can you remember? You might remember the jacket. I showed you him on August the 27th, what, six weeks ago? Can you remember his name? Actually, to be honest with you, I couldn't remember his name either. John... D. MacArthur. Is that what you said, Tim? Very good. I'm very impressed. John D. MacArthur. He, uh, when he died, I think it was 78, he was the world's second richest man. Now, I reminded you of that. We all forgot, apart from Tim. And, uh, uh, and, you know, and we'll forget him again, no doubt. We may not forget the jacket, but we'll probably forget him. And uh, so, is life purely random? Looks like it. Death, it says, is like a universal obliterator, and even our memory goes over time. So, how are you going to live life? Well, Ecclesiastes says, uh, well, here we are. We've seen uh, um, life purely random, looks like it. Death looks like the universal obliterator. So what are we going to do? How are we going to cope? Well, as someone said, have a blast while you last. That actually is what the uh, Kohelet, the guy who wrote this, is, uh, is saying. He's saying, well, actually, life is better than death. Look at verses 4 and 5 here. Uh, it's better to be alive than dead, he says. Uh, so you might as well just go and enjoy your life while you can. So verses 7 to 10 um, <clears throat> uh, is, is talking about that. Verse, verse 8 says, uh, it's, when he talks about white clothes, he's talking about uh, your best clothes. It's party time. He's saying, enjoy your food, enjoy your family, uh, enjoy life as much as you can while you can. Have a blast while you last. Now, that's all a bit shallow, isn't it? Um, but if life is random, and if it has no meaning to it, then just go and enjoy life while you can. Isn't that actually what most people think, really? I mean, no particular purpose, so just, let's just have a good time. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it, so let's just have a good time. Let's go out on the Friday night, go out on the Saturday night, uh, you know, watch the TV programs, get enjoyed, and so on, and all the rest of it. Uh, and, you, you know, you can see that as people, you know, save up for a holiday. They have one holiday, they need to make sure they've booked another holiday when they come back, and so on. We want to have a good time, don't we? And as Christian people, 
actually, I think one of the things from this is, say, as Christian people, we do want to enjoy the stuff, the good stuff that God gives us. So it's all right to enjoy a good meal. Uh, you may not particularly like the weather, or you may like hot toba, as some people call it. Um, but it's uh, enjoy it, okay? Enjoy 25 degrees tomorrow. Make the most of it, because it won't last, but uh, enjoy it. Enjoy the autumn colours. Enjoy a decent TV programme. Uh, appreciate them. Thank God for them. Enjoy them. Turn enjoyment into thanksgiving and praise. But in the middle of this, there are, some, there are four little things I just want to point, us, uh, point out to um, So the first one is to say, as we've said here, if life is completely meaningless, then do just go and enjoy ourselves. And actually to enjoy the good things that God has given us is an okay thing. The other thing, though, a couple of other things, they recognize that there is a God. Actually, that's what he does here, Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes. He says, but actually, you know, there is a God. Uh, He talks about the things that God has given you under heaven, that God is sovereign, that there is a God here. And that begins to make a huge difference to life when you start thinking about it. And uh, so remember there is a God, and actually we are living under the sun. If you're just thinking about under the sun, if you're just thinking about no reference to God, then actually life down here is completely meaningless. But actually he's saying, by saying that, he's saying, you really need to consider life beyond the sun. You really need to consider that there is stuff beyond the here and now. That there was an eternity past and an eternity future. That actually there is a God who is in control of all these things. Remember those things. But also, remember toilsome labor. Just look at the end of verse 9. He talks about, uh, um, for this is your lot in life, in your toilsome labor under the sun. And that's just a hint there, isn't it? Um, because uh, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, that, that just reminds me of actually what happened in Genesis chapter 3, right back almost at the beginning of the Bible. And way back in Genesis chapter 3, when as one of the results of mankind's rebellion against God is that work becomes toil, becomes labor. And, uh, uh, and it's saying that life under the sun, in other words, life lived without reference to God, that's where Adam and Eve rebelled against him and decided we'll live life down here without any reference to anything else and actually the implications of that include our work say tomorrow morning becoming a drain becoming a drag becoming a labor becoming toil so if life is simply random have a blast while it lasts but doesn't have to be meaningless and random and it's only meaningless and random Because we live under the sun, that is, without reference to God. But there's one other thing to remember too. Look at verses 13 to 18, and you see there the fickleness of mankind. Now, it's important to remember, when you look at verses uh, 13 to 18 there, um, it's not a moral tale. It's not saying this is what people should do. It is saying, it's a cautionary tale. It's saying this is what people are like. It's what people are like. So he's saying that even while having your blast while it lasts, enjoying life and enjoying all that God has given, it might be worth remembering that people get forgotten. John, what was his name? MacArthur. MacArthur. I'll ask you next week, shall I? See if you remember then. See if I remember then. You see, and he's saying wisdom gets depressed. Words are no longer heeded. People get ignored. People get treated badly. You get put down. You're blanked and so on. And uh, it's, look at the end, right at the end of the, of the chapter, it says, but one sinner destroys much good. 
saying, just remember, life isn't up to much. There's problems with life. Is it purely random? It seems like it. Death's a great leveler. So whatever you achieve in life, you can't take it with you. So you might as well have a blast while you last and just enjoy what you've got. But even as you do that, just remember Ecclesiastes is saying so far, life doesn't make much sense if you leave God out of it. It really doesn't. So there's one more thing to say. Well, so far, it doesn't seem particularly Christian, this sermon, does it? And it's all rather depressing. But we want to say this. This is really important. If God is there, nothing is random at all. If God is there, then nothing is random at all. If God is God and he's there. And look at verse 3, for instance. There is the evil... There is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, full of evil. There is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. But there are four clues in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 which say there is a God. And that makes sense of all of life. So the first one is uh, God's hands. We'll just put them just down there. God's hands. Look at verse 1. I reflect on this and conclude that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. So he's saying here, actually there is a God who is active in this world, who holds us in his hands. And when he says at the end of verse 1, that no one knows whether love or or, uh, hate awaits them, the point is that when you know God and when you live life with God in his hands, then actually you do know. If you're living life under the sun without any reference to God, then you don't know. You don't know the future. You don't know if good or evil awaits and so on. You don't know why things happen. You just hope for the best. But if you live life with God in the hands of God, then actually Christian people can be calmly confident that we are in God's hands. So nothing is random. Nothing is by chance or capricious. Nothing at all. I, uh, I've been at a conference, uh, it seems, most the days this week. And uh, the last couple of days I've been up in London. And one of the talks was uh, given by this lady. Her name is Immaculate... Oh, I knew I'd get this wrong. Ilibagiza. That's it, Ilibagiza. Immaculate Ilibagiza. Okay? Um, she's a survivor of the Rwandan Holocaust. She huddled silently with seven other women in a bathroom measuring three foot by four foot for 91 days. And when it was uh, uh, safe to leave the bathroom, she found out that she had lost her mum, her dad, her two brothers, both her grandparents, and they were among a million who died over that three-month period. Someone has described it as the most efficient holocaust in history. As she came out of that bathroom, she actually came out believing, she had a Catholic background, as you can probably tell from her name, Immaculate. Um, But she came out believing and she said to God, God, I believe. I believe you are real. I know you were there. I don't understand, 
but I trust you. And in the talk that I heard her give uh, yesterday about her experiences, she said this, the greatest gift in all this is that I can hold on to God in all I do. And Lord, please help me to live my life in your hands. Please help me to trust you, to hold your hand in all that today brings. God's hands. The second thing we see here in Ecclesiastes 9, which kind of makes sense of things, uh, we've seen God's hands. Click, click. Anyway, that's not, there we go. There's click to God's hands. And the second thing is we see evil. Kamalith talks about evil in verses 3 and 12 and uh, of sinners in verse 18. Now, where does that come from? The sense of evil and goodness. He talks of the righteous and the wicked in verse 2. And those are terms only defined in relation to God, aren't they? He knows there's a God there. He's telling us that life without God, life just doesn't make sense at all. But there are all sorts of little pointers here, which you can see just kind of glinting like uh, little specks of, of glass on the ground on a dark night, and you can just see them glinting at you. And he's, uh, he's saying, look, there is a God there. And with him in our lives, this all begins to make sense. There is, with God, no such thing as random. And then the third little thing here, it's little but huge, again is this phrase, under the sun. It's there, it's in verse 3, it's at the end of verse 6, it's twice in verse 9, it's in verse 11. Down here and without reference to God. And life lived ignoring God and without any possibility of God, that he might be involved in life, that he might be with us, he might have created us. I want to say, you've got to lift your eyes, you've got to think a little bit more beyond the here and now, you've got to tune in. To live in God's world without any recognition or reference to God is very foolish. I'm living in his world. I'm enjoying all the benefits and I won't even recognize him. No. But for the majority of people in this country, that is exactly what we do, isn't it? But for us, let's remember God. On the train tomorrow, at the traffic lights, walking back from taking the kids to school, As we wake up, as we go to bed, give him time, remember, and put your hand in his. And then the fourth thing here, this is the, uh, is that to remember that little phrase, what God has given you. Look at verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. There is a God who is generous. He is profoundly involved in his universe. In fact, he came. God has given us, well, he's given us our Lord Jesus. Who, and he loves us. And Jesus came and we know he died for us. And we know that God walked this earth. That's what Christians say. That is the most wonderful news possible. Because it tells us that God is there. There was a man called Jesus who walked this earth. If you don't believe God exists, sort out what you think about Jesus. And we believe that because because God is there, nothing is random. Life's not random. 
God is involved in his universe. You may choose to leave him out of your life, but if you do, well, expect an ultimately meaningless life ending in the random terror of death. You may try convincing yourself that all just ends in death. It's just extinction. But Gehaleth tells us that uh, the rest of the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, and actually I believe life tells us that death is not the end. It's not the finish. Life has never been pointless or meaningless, ever. Because God is there. And he gives point to the whole of life when we know him for ourselves. Charles Darwin lost his 10-year-old daughter, Annie, in 1851. And he was a deeply devoted father at his daughter's bedside day and night during the illness. But ultimately, there was nothing he could do to save her. And the only comfort he had in the loss of Annie was that during her ten years, he'd never spoken a harsh word to her. Precious little comfort. Darwin's wife, Emma, was a Christian, and she sought some divine meaning behind Annie's death, some reassurance that it wasn't just some kind of random thing. And Emma believed her God was wise and good, And she could understand why she'd lost her daughter. But she trusted that her God knew best. And that our understanding is limited. But that God loves us and acts somehow for our good. Because with God in your life, that will bring an ultimate purpose and meaning. So let's live our lives with our hands in his today, tomorrow when you wake up, this week, and the rest of our lives.